Hey, listeners. You're listening to the Business with Universal Love Show. Real experiences of the spiritual realm united with the world of business. Hosted by Michael Seitz. Whether you are in the business of providing products and services for customers, in the business of serving the people, or in the business of protecting people, this podcast show is for you. We explore how executives bring spirituality to their people and uncover both the tangible and the intangible benefits of creating a soul-filled workplace where people love coming to work. Now on to the show. A Kindle copy of my best-selling book, Hey folks, of Dad's box. businesses have been brilliantly adapting to the change in the marketplace to transform your life. At so how have they changed? Then packages go to the first five listeners to sign risen to the top. In this, in this show, COVID impact you'll find the world to the gratitude. Joining me today is Marty Constantine to, to share her complimentary gifts on what's now making business. I appreciate your successful. support of the podcast very much. What are the power skills and hope it needs continues to, be to agile in a adapt. positive way? Marty is Many a blessings workforce and a culture final and career agility Take a moment expert, to be thankful and she's for a best-selling good author that of today. Activate your agile career. How responding to change will inspire your life's work. She's also launched a broad following with her newsletter, Agility Think, which you can subscribe to on LinkedIn. Now on to business with Marty. So, hey, everyone. Welcome again to the show. I'm here with Marty Constant of Constant Change, and we've been talking a little bit before the show about some of the things that we're seeing in the workplace, but I'd like to dive right in since it is a very dynamic day-to-day, month-to-month changing environment that companies and executives and employees are having to deal with. So Marty, with your work and some of the additional opportunities you've had to be on some executive learning groups, what's changed in the business landscape for where you sit? Well, the name of my company is Constant Change. Constant is actually my real last name, Constant with a K. And it's something that I started many years ago. And I've been influenced by change for many, many years, personally and professionally. So much so that I wrote a book a few years ago. I started researching it about nine years ago on the topic of agility. I wanted to understand how the role of agility and change in the workplace and how it could benefit both employers, organizations, and employees. And to answer your question about what's changing now, I used to talk about the rapid acceleration of technology change. I worked in technology companies for several years, and I knew what that was all about. And I knew that it was better to stay ahead of the curve rather than be a laggard. But what happened the last six months is just so otherworldly to all of us and that we've had to compress the way that we learn in a dramatic way. We've had to learn fast, make decisions, and make adjustments both on the employer side and the employee side. Uh, 60% of our workforce is still remote right now. And oh my goodness, look at what has happened to the essential employees the burden that they carry. So that's where my brain sits with change is this medical COVID world that we live in, which will not be going away anytime soon, even after we get a vaccine. Yeah, that that all makes sense. What have been some of the qualities of that agility that you think are now needed 
in that six months of change. I mentioned learning compression, and I think the main thing is learn by doing. If we're not learning by doing and we're taking too long to analyze, we're going to lose our place in the market, both as an individual and both as a company. And that it does take a type of leadership intention of we can't just sit thoughtfully for too long. So it's the compression of the time periods that we have to make decisions. So I think that's happening. I noticed I'm part of an executive learning exchange with a bunch of chief learning officers and HR executives. And one of the things that, you know, I hear from them is they had to adjust overnight within a week to the remote workplace. So did all of the teaching institutions, high schools and colleges, and these are working people that are trying to figure it out as well. So I think, you know, making those kinds of changes and some of it's been done very well. So the escalation of new learnings has been pretty high. Yeah. So the new learning obviously has been sort of the fire hose effect for a lot of people, right? But, you know, behind all that rapid change comes a fair amount of stress and stressors can really impact our performance, both individually and collectively. So as you talk about the agility piece, what have you noticed as a stress impact and how are people adapting to that stress impact? The stress impact is happening with all of us. We see it even on a platform like LinkedIn. Executives are saying that it's a very real thing and it's affecting each and every one of us. And the first thing that people are doing is talking about it and having conversations. And one of the solutions to stress is to be able to not just have the conversations, but to be listening with empathy. We hear a lot about empathy. Empathy is the lead for design thinking in this universe. It's also the way that we put ourselves in each other's shoes and understand that we have families, we have children, and we have adjustments that we need to make personally so that we can do our jobs. And one of the major institutions decided to do something like buy pizza for all of their employees within this one very large business unit. And so everybody got pizza on a Thursday during July. And I think that was an amazing, thoughtful thing. They're saying, well, we want to make it fun. And so that's moving forward with fun and empathy saying, you know, yes, it's been hard. So let's just relax a little bit and have some fun and enjoy our pizza and share our experience with each other. Yeah, that's interesting to talk about the pizza piece, because for most of us, we would say, well, that's kind of insignificant. But if you think about the scale of trying to reach so many people within the company and have just that generous nature of, hey, we're thinking about you, it may not be big, but we're thinking about you, tends to go a long way. What's been the feedback on things like that from what you've seen? Very positive. I mean, like you said, it's a pizza, you know, might be 20 to $30, depending on where you buy it. So it's not a huge dollar amount. And I think considering people as individuals that are working from home right now, that was a very nice gesture to deliver the pizza to a home. And I know there's lots of other examples, Michael, on this sort of thing. But, you know, that's just one that that came to mind right now. Sure. Right. And we've talked before the call a little bit about the age of information shifting to the 
age of conversations. And so when employees get these connected moments where they feel like, hey, empathy is legitimately being expressed by my higher ups, I'm feeling a little more valued. How likely are they to participate in conversations during these changing times? Right. So when you mentioned the age of information, I read an article last week that said information is dead. It was an article that was written before COVID, and it was suggesting that Information is so easy to get these days. It used to be a very valuable thing, but now it's more of a commodity. And it's what we do with the information is what makes or breaks our experiences. And getting back to the age of conversation, I think of the, you know, a book I read called Watch Them Grow or Watch Them Go. And the book itself talked about if you're not having conversations with your staff, your employees on a regular basis versus waiting for a performance review, if you're not breaking them down into small chunks, people aren't going to feel seen. Yeah, no, that's very true. I've been a recipient of a number of performance evaluations, and sometimes they've really just waited, like you said, until the end of the year or that one time out of the year when they give you that feedback. And getting that feedback earlier on is so much more valuable, I've noticed. So it's interesting that that's still a a bit of a challenge. But as you think about this a little bit more, you know, you talked again about the agility piece and We've seen where CEOs have said before COVID that they are struggling to adapt to the changing workplace and the changing marketplace, that things are are happening much faster. And you talked about the compression piece. What are people doing today? What are companies doing today to be a little more adaptive and responsive to these shifting periods? Well, one of the things that they're doing is trying to figure out what skills they need. Mm. I know just a major company, you know, a fast food company, a major one, talked about shifting people that weren't out in the field anymore in sales, shifting them to customer service and people feeling valuable that they could contribute in this screen driven world versus you know, the getting on a plane and meeting with people on a regular basis. So I think honoring people's skills and understanding that they have a lot to offer and doing what's necessary to do temporary job shifting, as well as upskilling and reskilling. You know, I've even read some companies are doing reskilling because some companies are letting people go. That's a reality. But some companies are also saying we need to do what's necessary to make certain that these people are able to land when they leave. So they're, they're actually giving them access to training. And I think that this is a very noble thing. And these are some big companies that are doing this. We think of our big companies as being impersonal. And maybe the little companies can't do this as easily, but some of the big companies are. Yeah, that's striking because a lot of public perception is that corporate headquarters and higher up management is not in touch with reality and not in touch with what's really needed at the employee level. And to hear that they've made that shift and they're, even though they're letting people go, they're giving them some tools to leave. It doesn't strike me as being very likely 10 or 15 or 20 years ago that companies would do that. Right. I think the world has changed quite a bit. I think the companies themselves in the past 10 to 15 years have gotten a whole lot more efficient. They don't have, you know, in the 1960s and 70s, there was a lot of extra staff. 
to do things. And because of technology and because of globalization, there's been so much efficiency built into the system. So there hasn't been a lot of extra people in the mix doing their roles. So they had a different approach to it. I mean, some could say loyalty's gone, you know, people are staying for as long as they think is necessary, but companies are also doing the same thing. They're being efficient to run their business. And if you think about it, they need to do this because if they don't do this, they are going to be out of business. Right. Absolutely. So if, if they don't make these changes, what's the impact to the employee as they are making these changes? So, yeah. so, yeah. so they're adapting. Communication plays a big role. Being transparent, encouraging this kind of trust with this communication, enabling employees also to adapt. I often talk to leaders within large organizations to promote this concept of personal branding within the organization, not just within the executive ranks, but all around. Because if you not only know what the skills are of those people, but what they really are excellent at and what they care about, it's going to be a more multi-dimensional view of the individuals. And I think it's companies like this that understand that cultivating this sort of mindset within an organization is going to endear people to you rather than feel like it's a total impersonal thing. Although it is somewhat impersonal, isn't it, Michael? It sure is. (laughs) The interesting thing was you talking about that was I was thinking about the different ways that they can communicate that personal brand or that brand of the company and how it really can leverage the qualities of true teamwork and teams collaborating together, whether they're the customer service folks, whether they're the technology development folks, but that they feel as part of an integral aspect of the company. And if the larger brand of the company and the skill sets that they embody are seen as necessary, then they're much more enthusiastic, that they're much more engaged in supporting the company and being maybe more adaptable and flexible as these changes and challenges come up. So emotions obviously are a huge part of this. What has your research noted about emotional intelligence and communication over the last six months? Well, what I've noticed, so it's been six months since we've been continuing to go through all of this change. And I noticed a few weeks ago that the most recent soft skills study from the data that was collected was all collected from 2019 before the pandemic. And I wanted to uncover how these skills have changed. In other words, the LinkedIn study with millions of people, creativity was number one, persuasion was number two. So these were things that were really valuable. Collaboration was number three, adaptability number four, emotional intelligence number five. But the data that I analyzed over a period of a couple weeks, and I was taking in some of the most recent conversations and assigning numbers to them and creating a new top seven, I call them power skills, not soft skills. Emotional intelligence shot right to the top. Communication is number two. Adaptability is number three. Now that makes perfect sense to me. Emotional intelligence has 
empathy as a function of it, self-awareness as a function of it, some resilience. So it makes sense that emotional intelligence is up there. It's needed. Communication, trust, transparency, that has to happen. And adaptability, that has been going up a little bit every year. And that makes sense to me as well, because that's the one thing we can do is to embrace some of this change and adapt to it rather than fight it. Yes, absolutely. So it's probably obvious to most of us that if one is more emotionally intelligent, one is more empathetic, as one is more aware as an employee, that they're more likely to actually be adaptable to change and to the necessary change that's going on. So it, that all, as you said, makes sense. What I'm curious about is these ideas of empathy have been around since man started thinking years and years ago, but yet bringing qualities like empathy and awareness to the workforce hasn't always been there. And so it's interesting to me that emotional intelligence is, has moved up to the top. But I think behind a lot of that is the idea that these are really spiritual qualities that are sort of beyond the, the human day-to-day that create connection, create value amongst companies and, and individuals. So what's your thoughts on how these qualities are a part of sort of a spiritual background. I think what you're alluding to is the way that it was 30 years ago. It was a lot less personal. I think the world has gotten a lot more personal and closer and people have understood the need for communication. We also understand the need for proper communication. So I think being more personal, the example that everyone gives is the Zoom meetings where the cat and the dog and the child are in the video. And that's not necessarily a bad thing during a meeting. There are high level executives that do this because they've got maybe three kids or four kids and there's high school and grade school and they're all on their own Zoom meetings within the house and they're trying to find their hallway to have their meeting. So I think that this is very personal. And people have mentioned how much they've enjoyed getting to know people. They don't necessarily enjoy being on Zoom meetings all day long, but they have gotten to know people in a different way than they would have been able to before. So whether we call it spiritual or personal, but yeah, it is a part of our spirituality and our connection. Yeah. One of the clients that I have, they instituted a Thursday afternoon happy hour with their teams on Zoom. So rather than going afterward and trying to meet up that afternoon like they normally would, they're actually already home. They're already in the confines of home. So now it actually allows them to be a little more likely to participate. And they said that they've actually had some really good connection with people that they didn't know very well. And so you talked a little bit about that benefit of of the Zoom connection. And then I talked about the happy hour piece. But what are some of the downsides to this not being in person that the companies and people are adapting to that try to bring that connection back? Well, we say this all the time. We're social animals. You can look at any dog, like a golden retriever, and know how important it is for that dog to be with his or her pack. They need that connection with human beings, with other animals. And I think we're no different in being, I mean, I really miss my family. I have a huge family. 
I'm one of seven and lots of nieces and nephews and the next generation. And we haven't gotten together in big gatherings. So this has been very much of a void. The same thing happens in the workplace that I do. I miss some of the people that I collaborate with because sometimes magic happens when you're in person in a meeting that you might not necessarily, you know, understand when you're doing this behind the screen. You know, we have the jokes about everybody's wearing, you know, different pants and, you know, we're not as professional on the, the other half of us. And it's kind of funny, but it's also, we're not really dressing up for each other. No, that's, that's true. And I think one of the things that people are looking for that magic, as you say, to have that connection and to get back into having the meetings or the opportunities to create the deals, to create the synergy that's needed to move beyond just the online presence, because they still value that human connection to create those magical moments. One of the things that I noticed was that United Airlines and another company are working on, hey, how do we bring that collaboration space more closely to the people that are able to travel if the conditions exist to allow for more business travel? And it seems to me like they realize that that face-to-face meeting is still super important in a lot of instances. And I think it's inspiring to hear that, hey, innovation is happening on the connection front, that Zoom has enabled us to be much more connected than some of the other video teleconference opportunities allow us to do that connection as you talked about. But there's also that physical space. And how do we create that physical space? How do we innovate in that physical space to bring that connection back so that we can move forward on those more challenging issues that need those magical moments? Have you heard of anything in your work that showed where people are trying to get back together in some way beyond the the online presence? Well, I see it. I'm a professional speaker and trainer and author. And a lot of my work was done in person. I delivered training and workshops. And I loved walking in and among people within the audience and connecting with them beforehand and hearing their stories beforehand and bringing their stories up during the conversation, during the you know keynote presentation. And that is really hard to replicate right now. I do know some people that are doing you know things the way that the political candidates are doing it now, where they're going and they're getting in front of a microphone and they're talking to a few people, but it's not in front of a lot of people yet. And the business of workshops and training has really been really struggled in the last six months. Organizations haven't really quite adapted to this yet. I do know one colleague that is working with a medium-sized business and they are having their big sales meeting. It's a large company. They're on their big sales meeting and they noticed that their people aren't trained properly to speak on these Zoom meetings. They don't look into the camera, for instance. They don't, they don't make eye contact. They're not engaged. They don't really do much with their background or anything. And so I know a colleague that is actually in person at a hotel where some people came in and she's teaching people how to present. So she's doing it, social distance and all that, but she's able to connect with them in a way. And she's doing it with a rather substantial sized sales force so that when they have their meeting, it's not going to be a bunch of boring people that are uncomfortable 
keynoting or talking in front of the camera. They're used to just having meetings, but they're not used to presenting in front of the camera. So I think that's a unique way that one company is handling it. So they have executive presence then, these people. Right. And that goes a long way because as we try to establish these connections with others, that connection does need that depth to it. And if they're appearing aloof or not paying attention to the camera or whatever the challenge might be with these online video conferences, having that extra skill set is quite valuable. Well, we've talked quite a bit about some of the things that are changing in the workplace and how companies are adapting. Are there any other thoughts or observations that you'd like to share? One of my favorite phrases really is adapt or die. It's a command that might sound a little bit impersonal, but I think in today's world, we've seen the companies that have faded from existence places like Blockbuster, places, you know, phone companies, these large companies that are no longer in business, Kodak. So I think really adapting and paying attention to what's going on and then taking action. The favorite phrase I say is, when you see change happening, don't do nothing. Yeah, don't do nothing. And if people, you know, want more information, I have a book that that I did write on the topic. I know you're an author as well, Michael. Uh, called Activate Your Agile Career. And I encourage organizations and individuals to read it. And I also have an Agility Think article series on LinkedIn. It has about 20,000 people subscribing right now. So this topic is really important. And the, the article series just launched in February. So we've grown from zero to, to 20,000 in a short span of time. Wow. Congratulations on that. I've read a few of those articles and they've been very helpful for me. And I, there's some great content in there. And I think part of the piece to that agility is as you tied back in earlier is those power skills have shifted just since COVID and the agility piece is, is up there, but also is that personal piece and that emotional intelligence or the conversations, being able to communicate well. Those are all core necessities in my mind, and I think you'd agree, is that these are core necessities, these skills that are so essential to the change. And, and as we move forward and are still dealing with various restrictions, various limitations on being able to go to full scale like we were before COVID, it's almost essential when you say adapt or die. It seems to me like, yeah, you still need these personal soft skills, these power skills, or you are going to die it's even more essential now. It is. And the workplace knows it. Individuals know it. So it takes a while to cultivate them. But I know some big organizations right now that have a whole year long series on these power skills, one of the major insurance companies. So they are recognizing the need for their people to be skilled in these areas. Great. Well, any other final words or thoughts for our listeners today? I think just you know, when change is happening, don't do nothing, do something, you know, in the positive, do something. There's always something to do. Absolutely. Well, great, Marty. Thanks for being on the show today. I valued our time together and what you've shared with us. Look forward to seeing more of your excellent work going out there into the world. Thank you, Michael, for the opportunity. Hey, listeners, we're coming up on November and Thanksgiving in the United States. In the spirit of giving and during the month of November, I'm offering five Gratitude for Listeners packages. The package includes a complimentary Energy Leadership Index Assessment, 
the Energy Leadership Index Assessment is one of Forbes Magazine's top five business assessment tools and is used by most Fortune 500 companies. The ELI assessment is valued at $100. I'm also including in the package a Kindle copy of my best-selling book, Out of Dad's Box, How to Break Free from Parental Control and Transform Your Life at Any Age. The packages go to the first five listeners to sign up. In the show notes, you'll find the link to the Gratitude for Listeners webpage where you can enter to receive the complimentary gifts. I appreciate your support of the podcast very much and hope it continues to impact you in a positive way. Many blessings and a final thought. Take a moment to be thankful for something good that happened today. 